shooting a show tonight in uh, oh, North Brooklyn. Yeah. Who's playing? Uh, the band is called Visuals, uh, and it's a, a venue that I've never heard of, so can't wait to find out um, what uh, <laughs> restrictions and uh, limitations or cool shit will be offered by uh, this place. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Once once you shoot at a place once, you're like, okay, I know where to like stand or whatever, and this is going to be like a whole new whole new deal but that's fine by the way um just one thing i wanted to bring up the firm has one of the most hilarious transitions I'll see if i can pull it up but okay. sometimes sharing sound like kind of fucks with the back end recording i'll have to see if this is something <laughs> i flagged as well nice <laughs> i watched it so uh miss molly o'brien hello <laughs> what's up <laughs> what'd you think oh man i mean so I tried to be like a good, um, you know, journalist or a podcaster or whatever and write notes, but all my notes are like drums, uh, <laughs> scary, <laughs> damn, <laughs> I, like, I wish I was kidding, but <laughs> I don't know. There's maybe something about this piece. Like it, you know, I couldn't get like articulate about it. I could try to get articulate about it. I feel like I've been in um, kind of like artist interview mode because I've been doing a lot more interviews mm. for stuff that I've been doing. So I feel like I need to like maybe have you break break it down, like how like how this got recorded or like what sure. went into it. I'll I'll try to like side hook. It's a boxing term. Wait, no hook jab body shots uh, uppercut. One of those. I'll uppercut you into exp <laughs> into explaining how you did this. Well, this is the uh piece. So this is the record. Yeah, this is the whole thing. I listen and I listen to it in the like the album mode, like all one. Oh, dope! All one piece. I don't think I put yeah. song titles yeah. in that, so I'll say them. It'll probably be meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> the intro um is this piece called ruined piano it's one of like three songs that came out of this instrumental piece that i wrote using two pianos it's actually featured on the first batch of episodes the one we did with robin hatch um it bookends the okay. song in that one it's called nonsense it started off as an attempt to do something grizzly bearish like have kind of loose drums around this spacey and ornate piano I've been very open about this. I can't really play piano. I can just sort of watch YouTube tutorials and try and emulate until I find something that I like, um, which was the case of the song. Um, From a like notation level, like a literally, or more like a like getting a certain like sound out of it. From getting a sound, I am uh, illiterate yeah. when it comes to music theory <laughs> um, and counting. <laughs> counting is oh, hard to yeah. be fair. Only only one of the three of us can keep count in a rehearsal, and it's very frustrating for Victor. But. <laughs> I feel like it's got to be all or none, because if it's the one, then you got to put the whole team on your back. Well, again, some of them, Vic like actually spends hours figuring out that the guitar's first note is played on the and of six, and the bass's first note is on like the E of one. Mm -hmm. And they really like that so much that it's that specific that we have to rehearse until we get that perfectly instead of uh -huh. figuring out how to get it quickly and show ready right away. Totally. This song actually moving from the, the piano piece, I, I took um I took the the beat that I designed and cut everything else out and started writing this guitar line and and a, and a space synth sounds. So it was using like virtual synths to create this bass noise. I really wanted the 
uh, a very punctuated bass that happens about two minutes into the song. Like, doom, 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 like that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a while to build up into that because for, for a time it was just drones in the beat. <laughs> no song was there. <laughs> um, it was a, a separate time I went to Vegas, was on my way back. I realized that if I just have a very simple two-note guitar line to just emulate the chords, I could sing around that. And that was in 2018. Okay. When I figured that out. So this was this is the oldest song out of the group and it has a connection to the first song that we did in this podcast, the one called Remote, um, where I was really obsessed with uh, using the phrase you don't know that mm-hmm. in a kind of chanted refrain. And in that song it's much more prominent. In this one it's distorted and kind of buried in walls of, uh, of terror. Yes, that, um, that is how I would describe yeah, them. I actually, <laughs> I actually lost the session from that, so I had to listen to a single bounce of that song and then just try and recreate the drums as best as I could from hearing that. Oh, weird. And yeah, yeah, it was it was difficult, just not even relying on the piano recording. Uh, there was a bass at the beginning that I ended up cutting just to give it more space and make it a bit more um, uncomfortable. The bass really mm-hmm. tied it together, made it a bit more funky. Um, and if I have it still on my laptop, I'll actually underlay it in this part of the conversation. <laughs> uh, just because it's kind of fun when you're able to do that. Oh, yeah. That's what podcasting is all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Underlays. Music, music uh, cues to, yeah, under, underline a point. We met with Young Chomsky about a month ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's really cool. He had, uh, actually, just before he came to um, Toronto to play the horseshoe. Okay, nice. I'm just going to drop some names. It's, good, it's a good name to drop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, I DM'd him asking about this, and my pitch was, yeah, talk about the song and any Rancid record that you that might come to mind. Because I was like, yeah, you probably wants to talk about Rancid. And you really sweet. He's like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about music, but I have nothing to say about that band. <laughs> As, uh, to be fair, I don't... God, I feel like the one of the Rancid guys did... Um, a couple guest spots on the uh, Blink-182 side project Boxcar Racer that no one, I think, I think no one but me cares about. Oh, yeah, and so I, I associate I associate Rancid with that more than with Rancid. So that was yeah. that was Travis, right? That wasn't the one with Tom? That was Travis, Tom, no Mark. Oh, okay. And that wasn't yeah. Tim? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was Tim. He did. He did at least one song, maybe two. Because they had they had one where it was like, "I miss you before I miss you," and it was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Yeah, it was like super emo when he was sh- screaming in the rain. And mm-hmm. then the other one, I think, was like Tim rapping over like like Scott. Th- yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone else is, I think, more of a plus forty four person, but I'm a boxcar racer person. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> you do fine in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto's boxcar. Is Toronto city. full of boxcar racers? Everyone. People? Yeah, no one, no one remembers Plus 44 here. Yeah. Much Music did not play that nearly as often. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Much Music. Yeah, they just gave a shout-out to Avril Lavigne last night for telling a protester to fuck off, and it was made her come across as very opposed to the environment. Was that... I know, I know there was a, a, yeah, topless protester who hopped on stage. That was what it was? So she was presenting an award at the Junos. Yeah. And okay. uh, I think she was presenting an award. And yeah, the the protester was protest like had you know written on their body like land back and protect the green belt, which is this large 
section of protected land that developers have owned plots on for a while, but legally until recently could not build. Okay. On top of, um, I'm bastardizing these because I'm pulling the the vague descriptions out out of my head. Sure. They were, you know, the main fight was on the green belt because our premier uh, brother of the late Rob Ford. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That that picture came to mind when I said his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite thing oh, about God. New Yorkers come to uh, come to Toronto is they bring up Rob Ford's crack smoking patois like almost immediately. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty iconic, especially for like Canadian politics in general. I would say what what we receive. I took French in high school, so I feel like I I got some, a little bit more of it, like oh, yeah. a little like Stephen Harper realness. But yeah, Rob, I mean Rob Ford, come on. Yeah, Stephen Harper is evil in a boring way. Yeah, a really strange <laughs> like smile where he has too much skin that's pressed out, and he's like, yeah, it's 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 oh, really God. creepy, and it's, that is upsetting. Yeah, I've, this, all right. So the second song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. The second song, I think, was probably the one that you you wrote drums to. I think so. Yes. Yeah. I think so. It was like a, a pitched um, synth that leads into like these very hard hitting toms and screaming over uh, purposefully difficult to discern bass notes. Mm-hmm. Um, we were leaning into uh, Silver Apples and sounds from. I think Port- Portishead's Third was probably still a big influence on that because I think they're also like heavily influenced by Silver Apples. But listening to that, that record and that song in particular kind of influenced um, direction we went with the uh, the mix was to try and make it sound dirtier and old. In as much as you okay. could with digitally recorded material and limited understanding. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like I, I love the sound of like mono stuff, like uh, like Oye Kamova having that like big band in a small room and it all being compressed, not compressed, but like recorded into a single output that has a mm-hmm. kind of warm distortion. I also had like a, a record player for the longest time that the pots were not cleaned and I didn't really know how. So even new <laughs> records had that warm buzzing through. It yeah. sounded like shit, but like it was also very cool, and that yeah. sounded like shit. So uh, that Silver Apples and more recently, um, Public Strain by Women were just like sounds that I got really obsessed with. And mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a cliche to be in this age bracket and think like, oh man, Public Strain. Like it's yeah, it's a, it's definitely a cliche, but it's it is this incredibly unique and. Like beautiful sounding record and like Patrick from that band like took that direction on in Cindy Lee in a very interesting uh, way where they, they just write songs that feel of a time but have modern material in it like modern mm-hmm. synthesizers mm-hmm. that don't work in the sound it's very clashy and that's really tied into a lot of the mixing that we put into this record I mentioned on an early episode but the song the second song you and yours it was probably the one that I ha- I was happiest with the lyrics on. Like, okay. like, and it's also the song that when we play live, even though it comes earliest, I just blow my vocal cords out because it's <laughs> it's a combination of like that sort of you know I, I even now I I do ha- I I'm battling my nerves and leaning into it in a certain way. Like in a conversation, I'm like, all right, well, I'll just be cute about it and be charmingly nervous, and then um <laughs> and then live uh, leaning into it in a more destructive way like yeah yelping playing my guitar with um you know, significant anger or, or 
like putting it into the performance in some way. And uh, yeah, and then we have songs that actually require me to hit higher notes that I can't do anymore because I got really into it for that one fucking song. <laughs> That's kind of, I don't know, there's a a certain, at, le- at least like the evidence is there that like everyone saw you sing the first song. And so it's kind of like, I mean, there's nothing else I can do. <laughs> Could I have hit those notes anyway? No one will know now. It's too late. Yeah, like I'm a big fan of bu- of uh, fucking up your voice too. So I I support <laughs> and uplift. I think like I mean Chris Cornell was able to do it in a way that he could sustain a fucking show. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Uh, there was a video of of some guy sh- like walking you through how to sing like him in Cochise, where uh-huh. it's he's he's actually re- restraining his vocal cords in such a way to apply distortion and. It's, it sounds like he's just blowing it out, but he's he's able to do it across this format song. It's not normally at the end of the set. He's doing mm-hmm. it over multiple songs or at punctuated moments, and like, and that you know that 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 would be the dream is to be able to do that. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to sing like Chris Cornell because I don't think it'll work with this thing. But to be able to sustain that sort of pain sound is uh, uh would be really cool. Yeah, that's like how like if you like people who like scream when they're like acting like they're not really screaming they're like actually doing like some kind of like technique to like mimic screaming but they're actually like not completely like ripping up their vocal cords is it like that kind of thing uh i i I guess so yeah i haven't thought that deeply about it um i I thought they were just screaming and then having a lot of tea afterwards (laughs) some of them might be I mean, at least, you know, Americans, we're not sending our best to the movies these days because everyone's British now. And I just assume British people have gone to like the British acting schools that teach them how to, you know, act properly. Right. And I mean, you, you just kind of remind me of like Tom Holland might be the one that stands out from that list because mm, he seems mm-hmm. to be like a British actor in the American mode, like Ryan Reynolds, Chris Pratt, The Rock. Like they're all essentially like the amorphous American actor now is as yes. opposed to like a yeah. Harrison Ford or or like a or even Tom Cruise like you you're not going to see them you're going to see them play the character. Yeah, Tom Holland is definitely like I feel like we might not ever let him be British again. <laughs> that mo- I saw that movie Uncharted which I think was I don't know if it like did did you see this movie? No, I, I played the games and I like I know they've been trying to make that movie for about 15 or some odd years. Right, is like a super long, long in the making, and I feel like he get like he got like I mean, you know, everyone talks about uh, Austin Butler getting like Elvis voice disease, where like he can't stop talking like Elvis. Yeah. But I actually think Tom Holland has Spider Man <laughs> voice disease. I think he can't stop talking like Spider Man. I think that like vaguely Queens ish accent is like not like that's his movie voice now. But that also happened better with Charlie powers. Hunnam too. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh right. See, I don't even think of him as a as a non American dude. Because he was in a like a room room biker type show or yeah, something. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy, and yeah, that's yeah. every every movie where he plays an American is Jax Teller. See, like we, yeah, we're I think we're going too hard on Austin Butler, yeah. and not as hard on not hard enough on other people, especially Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> especially Charlie, especially that fucking Charlie yeah. Hunnam. I have no, I have no uh, skin in the game, but I'll I'll be a hater. Yeah, and I, just, I, I don't think he gets that, that much hate. I think Tom Holland probably gets more. <laughs> He could get some more. It sounds like he can handle some yeah, more. Yeah, everyone needs to be a heel at some point in their life. Yeah. I but agree. yeah, uh, so lyrically, I was happy. 
oh, this is going to be a nightmare to cut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, lyrically, I was really happy with that song because um, A City Sleeps For You, it's not, you know, it's not that deep, but it, it's personal, I guess, in a way. Like, it felt very honest, and it mm-hmm. felt like the tension of trying to afford, afford fucking living in the only place where I could get a job, mm. um, mm-hmm. but also not being able to... Uh, yeah, I, I was I was kind of held in place, um, in ter- you know, anxiously, mm-hmm. and I just like I've spent more than a decade struggling with how to afford food, cook, sleep, mm-hmm. um, yeah, do this shit, like, <laughs> and, yeah, and I mean that it, it, it felt true to that, but it was also in in reference to uh, I mean the housing crisis in Toronto really fucking blew up and. I think I think Beckner did a much better cover, you know, did much better coverage on this with Riley on uh, on Bottleman. So like, mm-hmm. I'll always happily plug that show. R.I.P. Like it's the best coverage of uh, Canadian, you know, Canadian political phenomena that I've ever listened to. <laughs> like there was this, there was a system in place for for protection for people um, in quotes protection uh, yeah. where they put people in hotels and uh, the hotels were. Con- constantly fought by neighborhoods that did not want homeless people in the hotels because yeah uh, just bigotry towards anyone that makes you uncomfortable for your own existence and they were they were mistreated by the program as well there were a number of complaints levied at the owners of the hotel the city for subcontracting the management of those programs like their their access to to material you know for what they needed to live like yeah just basic care and right. at the end of last year, the city decided, okay, it's done. We're going to throw you all out. Um, and on top of that, there were encampment sites throughout the city that the city spent large swat, you know, large sums of money hiring police to demolish. And it's it's stuff sure. stuff that's always disgusting and never surprising. Uh, and people were bru- you know people were brutalized by the city because they did not want the city did, the city did not want people living in these parks. Where mm-hmm. they, the people living in the parks felt better protected by their community than they did in these shelter systems. Yeah. Um, so it, it was tied to a, you know, each element of just seeing a city care less and less and get more actively violent towards its people that it should should hold responsibility for. Um, that that was the sort of impetus for for that song. Probably for a lot of stuff on the record overall. Like yeah. uh, it's really fucking angry and. <laughs> and sad record yeah uh, yeah but um the next piece ballast is just this reversed slowed down bass heavy piece that's taking a sample from the following song oh blast reversing elements and stretching it out it's something that i wanted on the record to tie the two songs together a bit more organically mm. and also connect to the spirit of this show like I okay. really enjoyed taking songs apart, repurposing them, and creating something different. And that—that that was that. That was like a little homage to this. It's what we like to do. We may as well have it be a part of this piece. It, yeah, it served. I thought it served as like pretty decent connective tissue into Oh Blast, which was a piece written by Vic. Vic is playing the bass on it. They're not happy with the take that we're using, but <laughs> I just think it, it just worked really well. Like they wanted to write a 
a piece in, I think in five, five, four time. It was like the first one they sent to us. And then after, after some time away, I, I heard this like referencing again, Portishead, this Portishead style, spacious beat. And the song initially ended after the, the vocals got very high pitched, very, very mm-hmm. falsetto. And there was like a, a, a very sharp synth note. And the song would fade out, and Victor wanted to make, for live, wanted to make it more of a, a jam experience that I just wanted on the record after playing it out. So yeah. that's the only use of live recorded drums we were able to pull off. Interesting. Okay. Just to keep costs down. Our rehearsal space, we, we used a condenser mic and a 58 and a, one of those Tascam recorders that has the two mics at the top. Oh, yeah. So we threw that in the bass drum and then, like, tried to figure out the right positioning for the other two mics. And you were miking drums yourself? Yeah. Damn. Well, <laughs> that just seems like the hardest thing to do. There's, like, so many of them. We, we just, you know, we, we played it out for a few minutes and we went with three. So, like, yeah. what sounds the least shitty? And I think one take, actually. <laughs> we end up doing, like, like, 13 takes on the drum, like, the full drum solo. That get mm-hmm. a little bit weaved in and out of each other. I think one take actually has the two mics flipped because we, we realized we put them in the wrong spot. And I'm not sure if that actually went into the recording or not. But <laughs> there's, there's like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna be honest about it. If you're an audiophile, there's some significant phase issues throughout this record. <laughs> I was just like, fuck it. Like, it's it's going in. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's as intended. Well, I was going to say, would, would would someone who's truly that freaky about... You know, because I I would not consider myself an audiophile. Mm-hmm. I'm a music lover, not an audiophile. Would that read as like you know, oh they fucked up? Because like you know, I I make videos. Sometimes I watch a video and I can clearly see an area where like I'm like, oh this looks like they were maybe covering up like mm-hmm. a bad take or like they didn't get the B roll that they needed to get or like this is definitely underexposed or they're like using a little bit less of this, a little bit more of this. Is that something that like if someone listened to this record, they would be able to claw? Uh, yeah. I think so. Um, like I, I, <laughs> can you and can you just lie and be like, "Yes, this is on purpose. <laughs> this is all part of the art." Yeah. Um, I mean, I have, I, I have, because yeah. I, I committed to doing that because we again have very limited funds and time. Like we have, we actually have all the fucking time in the world. I'm just impatient. Sure. And uh, like limited funds, and I, I have access to some stuff like I, I know what I like and uh Vic and, and Jean both gave their their notes on on what to do and we reached out to uh my mate Sean who uh produced our first EP and was an old bandmate of mine uh, just a you know friend since I was nine he listened to everything he gave me notes on EQing some of which we went with but he was very supportive and like you know if you want to do something one way just do it there's enough well-produced yeah. meaningful material that sounds pristine like uh nigel godrick still making records they sound they sound glorious or restrictive depending on your opinion of it but like mm. if you want something that's mm-hmm. that's done very to a t like you have him this is from three people you don't know in toronto who are uh making something very loud angry and and, and uh as strange as they can uh, and just really leaning into the limitations um Mm-hmm. But it's funny you asked that because that's what um that was something that that young Chomsky brought up was like phase issues like you know he mm-hmm. he knows what to listen to what to listen for and he's got a very strong producer's ear and mm-hmm. he lis- he he's you know like his ear is trained on not only what he's been doing but material like he's he's a huge fan of Neutral M- Milk Hotel and 
mm-hmm. stuff Vanderslice did. They they did very interesting and unique stuff, but they all sound good and have a sense of EQ and mm-hmm. all that. So they yeah. they uh, and, you know people like him would definitely pick up on that and they would pick up on it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what if what they would how they respond to it, whether it'd be difficult to listen to throughout or decide if it's like intentional, like it's it's up to them. The audio files. Lament. Yeah, that was the subtitle for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as in an, another impatient uh, person who is crunching, like you know, personal vision against budget, I'm I'm always gonna come on the side of uh, like just get just getting it done, however you can get it done. But yeah, we had that track. Um, and I, we did a lot of pitching, not pitching, but sending Vic, Vic's drums through my guitar effects. I recorded like like, a good, like three or four different guitar solos and, so, and comped them in and out of each other, and just played with placement on the on the headphones. Like these were all recorded and mixed using my cheapo headphones. Figuring, I figured <laughs> that's what most people will listen to it on, but I, I could be wrong. No, I think I think that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> So if it sounds okay on this, it'll sound like shit on like bass pro headphones, but you know, fuck those. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I wanted to just have guitar and drum solos just competing in different in different ears and like the feeling of them crossing and wrapping around you. I think on that song specifically, but we do it at a couple other spots in the album. Sending them through the guitar effects allowed us to do that even more in a way that cause that would cause significant phase issues. But when you're making something tense, you can kind of lean into like stuff that doesn't sound right. Yeah, uh, totally. The next song after that was uh, uh, Mangadiva and the Rolling Corpse. It's titles from two things. The first, the first thing the title is from is this piece Gene did. Uh, Gene does a lot of audiovisual stuff. Okay, cool. Creates these like soundscape, bizarre videos, and uh, so very similar to the ones that we sent you for for the alt. Um, mm-hmm. He taught me how to do some stuff for our videos as well using iMovie. Yeah, yes. so every everything weird that's happened is a combination of like uh, Google Photos editing suite, uh, Canva's like positioning, and, and iMovie's uh, green screen effects. <laughs> stacking scene. What more do you need? Yeah, yeah. You just stack things on top of each other. You can erase somebody's face in an interesting way. Um, <laughs> but yeah. He did this piece on last. We did. We talked about it a bit on the episode we just did with um, Jackie and Maddie from Indie Heads. Okay, yeah. We just met them. On, Love them. Yeah, we just met them on Sunday. Yeah, it was it was great having them on. So he made this this piece of some probably the most terrifying section on the records, the noise piece in the middle of this song. Okay. Yeah. Over seven minutes, over this very intense. Um, essentially, he described it as like an LSD or possibly an MK Ultra test. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he like slowed it down and pitched it, and there were like things that this person was painting in the video that like really in- inspired the direction he took with the music. We used a bit of it in the previous season. I can't remember which episode. It might have been the third one, where I um, just started doing some wailing over it. Mm-hmm. Just because everything was so noisy and loud in the last song, we loved the idea of just cutting out mm-hmm. into an acapella piece that then builds into this jazz section. Like, it's not jazz, but like a jazz rock section. Like, there's ele- like a jazz beat over it. And I couldn't get the vocals right. So I did four vocal lines and reversed one of them and just had them 
play into each other to, mm. to fe- affect that madness. I didn't simulate this, but I thought of like, what if Charles Aznavour like lost his mind? Okay. And like never made it or never made like a an impact the impact that he did as a singer or you know Sergei Gainsbourg or another example if you want chanson um <laughs> chanson <laughs> but so we we lent into that for the record and um there was an artist that we opened for named Kiaville uh, it was from mm-hmm. I believe from Montreal and she writes these really really fucking scary and cool, um, moody. Like, are you familiar with with, with the arts? No, no. Um, so, just want to make sure I wasn't just like you know, explaining something you already knew. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, she has these like interesting. There's like a there's like a, a snare drum that has the doors, you know, like that sort of dangly doorstop. Puts okay. that on like a, a a drumstick and like drags it across his snare drum. Cool. And uh, she has these very like muted, hushed vocal tones. With uh, it was a really fucking cool record. It was really great opening for it but we were inspired by that for the the final section of this song which has this rolling bass line like just a cajon that we mixed really low so it doesn't quite sound you don't quite hear the smack of it mm-hmm. you just hear the the thumping of it and, and very tired vocals uh, yeah <laughs> i don't know that's this is just me walking you through the technical elements of it um yeah no this is great when you say tired vocals, do you mean like, uh, you know, put putting on an air of tired or like I, actually being tired? Uh, I mean, a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it is both just because I've, I've got a lot on my plate. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and yeah, like what is a, an at like was, was this like a crunch in the studio to like get everything done? Or did you have ta- like how long was this from? Kind of zero to to finish. Uh, the first songs on this on this on this song specifically, or overall, whole thing, yeah. Because these thing. were all. Because I know you said that there was one from quite a while ago. Yeah. So these were essentially these were being recorded since 2019. Like or that's when that went in. But we started working on it um, to build these songs and I, I guess sort of a sonic identity for the band around these songs in 2020. You know, like we were in lockdown, we weren't able to see each other, so eventually we just started recording shit and sending it. Everything, yeah, everything except for the live drums from the previous song we talked about was done from our home studios. Okay. So like either bedroom, this room or in front of my TV, which I can't okay. do now cuz that's where the, the dog lives. <laughs> Fair enough. Got to sacrifice. Something for the dog. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's a good guy. I like him. <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah. Uh, he might, I left the door open, so my partner just left, so I left the door open in case he cries. I think I'll bring him in, but right now he's sleeping because he went to the nice. the big park near us and like lost his mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so the next one uh, is, a, so we're working on these two songs right now for a live performance that like we've figured out. Okay most of the others and how they fit in for some time but uh this one called skinny soul stealing i think that was all written other than the vocals all written in a night in like two or three hours and it was using this cheap barringer synth that i've kind of learned a bit of uh modular synthesis on like semi-modular and uh using like a randomized setting on my key step controller so it's not actually in time or consistent Okay. Um, there's just like the best guess of when to do the chord and then it'll play the note whenever it feels like it. Interesting. Yeah, it sounded like an arpeggiator, but I was using three notes. So like it could play one note like three times before the next one or it could go. Like that, that sort of thing. 
And um, the way I set the synth, like, it reminded me of the alien piece from the movie um, Annihilation. Did you see that one? I didn't see it. Okay, it's similar. I've heard it's great. I, liked, I saw it in theaters. I haven't seen it since, but when I saw it, I, I quite liked it. Uh, it's another Jeff Burrow and Ben Salisbury piece. So another fucking Portis head reference in the <laughs> 40 minutes that we've been talking. <laughs> that one, it's it's a similar synth sound to the song Ingenue by uh, mm-hmm. Adams for Peace. Okay. Like it's got that uh, like slow rising synth that cuts off immediately. I started. I, I went with that sound just because I, I I thought it was unique and it wasn't specific for this for this album when I wrote it. I just I don't write a lot on that synth. I wasn't using it a lot at the time, and I thought using something organic or something analog might be a little bit cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the drum beat is kind of in seven four. It's it's inconsistent as well, so it's not like every four bars it restarts. Like it can can go on for four, it can go on for six, it can go on for five, and then trying to figure out the vocals on top of that. I kind of think of it as like the saddest one, just because it's not as viscerally angry mm-hmm. as the as mm-hmm. the other pieces. It's there's more like a sense of longing. I think the the chorus like I was thinking of, or I was listening to the. There's this album by Tindersticks. I do not know Tindersticks. So Tindersticks, did you watch Sopranos? I did. Okay. I can't remember this. Yeah. Actually, it's a dumb question to ask. I can't remember the song that was on it, but he has this, he has <laughs> this like low drawl voice that's also kind of funny. Okay. Um, and it, it's, it sounds, it's, I'll, I'll see it. My best impression is, Tiny tears with you. Like he kind of has this like wobbly, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's both really pretty and really funny. Okay. Um, God, the music direction on that show was so wild. Yeah, was it World Destruction? I think it was the like. Well, he's just walking down to pick up his newspaper. Was was dope. There's a yeah. There's some good shit. Yeah. I feel like no one. I don't know. We're in a real bad music supervision uh, gap, so I need someone to come up and pick up the. What was I? Oh, I, I was watching the like um, uh, the dropout. The uh, what was the lady who said that we could figure out you know everything with one drop of blood, and then she lied. Uh, wh- whoever that lady is. The um, Last of Us. No, no. Although, God, are most TV shows right now about? Uh, blood they're about um they're about pandemics <laughs> or vacations that is true yeah. a pandemic vacation uh elizabeth holmes uh there were like it, it was a period you know show and that it was from like the like early aughts to now and they were just doing wrong like it would be one year and they would just like have an anachronistic song playing diegetically i'm like what are we doing here anyway oh it, peaky blinders Sopranos, was like that Really? I mean, like in a way that I liked, because I, I, every record they chose was one of my favorites. So like it's set, you know, in post World War One England, but like Nick Cave and and Radiohead and uh, P J Harvey and Anna Calvi came on and like wrote I think the last season score. But like it was yeah, essentially anachronistic rock music. See that that's cool if it's like you know committing fully to the bit. Right. That sounds great. But yeah, no, this this was like they would try, they would be off by like two years on something. I'd be like, no, stop it. So me and my, you know, me, Gene, and uh, like our partners have all been really obsessed with Netflix reality shows. 
Yep. The, it's like the only good thing they do. Every, Regardless of what the show is, they always have like a dramatic needle drop that just sounds like Imagine Dragons. Like without yeah. fail, they, they do that sort of like revelation or a question about do you really love me or are you the mole? And yep. just like, <laughs> da, 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 like uh, they feel fully developed, but like they may not last more than a pre-chorus chorus. Yeah, I'm always curious about who who makes those. I assume that will eventually be the provenance of like AI music making will be just to shit out like 10,000 different versions of reality TV betrayal needle drop. That's an interesting idea. You should patent that. <laughs> hey, if it, I if someone figures out how to do it, I'm sure AI stock music is like already happening and it, it just isn't labeled that, but Right, right. Yeah, that's big money, big money. Did you watch Perfect Match, by the way? I did not. So it's like... What is the um, premise of this show? It's like the Avengers for all the other shows. Like, they have, like, Shane from season two of Love is Blind and, like, Francesca. And and then they date each other and then they trade off and then they they do competitions. It's incredibly convoluted. There's a guy named Joey Sasso from, like, The Circle who is probably the most likable person on that show. Like every time he's he's so he's so Italian. He's just so lovable. Um, Italian uh, presences on reality TV again that that has fallen off and it needs to come back. So he's he's, he's putting the work. If anyone's thing is being overtly Italian, that sounds yeah, great. A- I mean, his name is Joey. When's the last time we even had like a famous Joey? Friends. <laughs> See. <laughs> we were talking about Sopranos. There's definitely a Joey in Sopranos. There's got yeah, there's got to be a Joey in there. But yeah, we've been we've been light on Joey. So yeah, I think his best trait is whenever Nick Lachey walks into the the scene, he has to shout from anywhere, regardless of where he is. You hear off in the distance Nick Lachey's full name in in Jersey Italian American accent. <laughs> That is exactly how Nick Lachey should be treated. People should constantly be screaming Nick Lachey. Nick Lachey. Yeah, Nick Lachey. yeah. It's his fault for continuing to show up at these type of establishments. Yeah, and like ruin people's lives. Yeah, I, begging for drama. I think they're I think they're pre- predominantly actors, but like if they if they weren't, he him and Vanessa Lachey have ruined a lot of lives. Yeah. Yeah. He's got if not blood on his hands, something. Yeah. Um let's get back into the depressing music. So, yeah, uh, sad song into the fast song, (laughs) the fast, Mm. angry song, which was the most difficult to get the mix right, because there's so much going on in there. That was the one that that Young Chomsky was like, you need need to, like, cut out certain frequencies of different instruments, which we did, and then I didn't like it. So uh, (laughs) I went back on his advice. Yeah, it was. It's so. There's so much going on that's so loud that every time I would I would bounce a, a, a track, a version of it, it would be quieter than everything. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't make sense. Um, found out how to how to really blast it, um, and and just keep it consistent. Because the two goals that I had with what I sent you was: Do I need to turn up my phone very loud to listen to it? Because I'm not a mastering expert. When I finish a mix, it's usually a lot quieter. And I don't want to listen to something, switch to a, a another record or podcast and blow my ears out because I was trying to hear all the dynamics. Sure. And then just keep it of a consistent enough volume. So like uh, Impossible Sweat Machine was what we called it. And it's uh, like I, I try not to keep when I write something, I try not to keep it too specific to a single person because I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. Like it's not fair to tell somebody's story for them, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like it's more of an observation and tied to if not their situation, what generates their situation? Just an uncaring uh, 
uncaring ser- multiple levels of of governing and healthcare that that I'm just, I'm I'm just I'm mulling that over just because yeah it's it's funny it's like even even in like the best circumstances like people can't always like give what they maybe need to give or uh, you know deserve to give uh, and then yeah if you layer on top of all the ways that people are incompatible with you know life as it is right now then it only makes it harder to like connect as people so yeah that fucking sucks <laughs> yeah it does like you it makes absolute sense to say fuck charity the government should do it like mm-hmm. in theory it works but there's that doesn't help the person who fucking needs it yeah and neither does feeling bad and like sounding understanding like it the record is very cynical because of that kind of feeling mm-hmm. yeah I think that, that's something that i just struggle with on my own is like feeling a, a way about something isn't enough to to make it better or the ways that which I've been taught to make things feel better feel limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fuck, I have to figure out a way to say things without just sounding vague and cryptic. No, that's not. That, that, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Right, okay. If you can make <laughs> it make sense verbally, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the final one is Howl. It's the one that I like to play the most live. It's much Mm -hmm. more rhythmic live. It almost has a kind of shuffle to it. We shot a video with Eli from uh, from the the Dream Logic podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, he used to do filmmaking. So he, Gene, and I went out and shot this video uh, that once, I think once this episode comes out, I'm going to try to put it together, so... It'll be tagged in a bunch of links. Just Molly was an episode featured this. I love it. I think it was the first one that we wrote in isolation. Um, This would have been... March 2020, I actually tried to write something. Partner and I went to see um, Tom York's Tomorrow's mm-hmm. Modern Boxes. It's like his solo project he came to Toronto with, and it was a. Uh, in some ways, it was more fun than than Radiohead because it was groovier. It played a lot of like a large number of songs that that they don't play because they they're from different parts of his his career, like songs from Suspiria and Anima and um, The Eraser and abs for peace mm-hmm. like just borrowing from everywhere there was this song i think it was is it truth ray it's just like really slow down tempo song mm-hmm. that just has a, a rising and falling synth that's so sexy and i was really trying to like get that kind of sexy synth but i ended up generating something that was um it, it was it didn't have a rhythm to it that i could really discern mm-hmm. as i tried building a beat around it it just felt like this this feels more like a, a drawn out you know like 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 the music that we have kind of leading up to it like a very drawn out tense chase piece like you're like like you're being pursued or you're being haunted by something and did i did the drones the vocals and the and the beat on that and sent it around mm-hmm. uh to my bandmates and vic played the guitar on that one like they, they just sent back like three guitar lines to do and then i like again mixed in mingled them out in a way that influenced a previous song on the record and now it's yeah it's our it's our closer for a number of our shows and uh the most fun i had is uh when i was playing a hollow body guitar with it and i just had this like trying to think of something i could use because i was using the the venues mic uh we don't have enough sway to like start breaking their shit so I just found like a patch cord that was on the ground and I just started whipping the uh, the body of my guitar. <laughs> and uh, it, it just it generated a great deal of <laughs> delayed, pitched, reverberated noise when it hit the strings. 
Even when nice. it hit the body a little bit. I was I was a little bit upset about that I actually damaged uh, some of the face of that guitar because it's, it's oh, a damn. nice guitar. And it was my first nice guitar, like one that cost a pretty penny. Is it cosmetic and, uh, damage or cosmetic, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's ro- yeah. You know, road wearing. Yeah, that's a, I'd charge it to the game, I'd say. But I understand. I mean, especially like a nice, beautiful, shiny guitar. I understand like the heartbreak of it. Yeah. Uh, it's like when I have like a new pair of shoes. Yeah. Like I know I don't ever really want them to get dirty. And then they do. And it's like, ugh, fine. There's no way to avoid this other than don't wear them outside. But just throw throw some stickers on it. <laughs> the first time I bought All Stars, when I first moved to this like I was living over a bar that was over a restaurant on Young Street and uh, with like 12 other people. And I bought some some all stars. I was like, yeah, this feels like a, a vibe I could I could pull off. And they were like nice, like high, high rimmed. What, what What's the term when they're like they're not sh- they're not short on the foot. They actually go up a little bit. High, to- high top. High top. Yeah. High tops. Yeah. And uh, they were like like a dark gray. They looked really cool, and you know, like to get to my apartment, you had to go through an alleyway beside a bar and into a parking lot and up a series of stairs with like a door with neon paint and like nice. aliens on. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a parking lot. So there's puddles everywhere, and I think within a week they had like splotches all over the mm. the nice design. And I was like, man, fuck, I'm never buying canvas shoes again. <laughs> I mean, if they can. I'm sure this exists. There's got, oh yeah, what am I talking about? I'm like, there's got to be a shoe that like you can truly just like wipe clean and start over and it's called Crocs, (laughs) but I can't, I wasn't into them the first time and now they're back in like a way more hipster way and I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, it's not for me. You can't lean to the I respect others. It's it's too, to me it's a shoe for babies. If, If people wear them, that's okay. But I just, I think of, I think of it as a baby shoe. Including, like, you can literally buy little toys to, like, stick in them called gibbets. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. That's a proprietary shoe charm uh, for the Croc family of shoes. Aw. Yeah. That's so nice. It's nice for babies. No. It's <laughs> it's fine. If people... You can wipe them clean. That That's a big deal, you know, because they're made of foam. <laughs> Only foam. When you brought that up as a shoe for babies... Um, it reminded me of that famous picture of, of Matt. Where, yeah, and I don't know if he was actually wearing Crocs or if the baby was wearing Crocs, but like... I think he was wearing like a van or like a... Maybe not maybe not a van, maybe like a Ked or, or similar, like a, pl- a plain canvas shoe. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thing. I'm actually going to look this up. <laughs> but I don't have the actual term. It's a famous picture. Okay, there's the one where he's staring dead-eyed at the camera uh, there's hell on earth, and then there's one with him and Amber. Okay. <laughs> so that that picture's lost to time. The, he he's got to have it somewhere. I can see. I can see if you can produce it. Oh, here it is. So they're not Crocs. They're um. Well, it's on my phone. I don't. Yeah, some kind of like a slip, some kind of slip on thing, which I do think is like a shoe for babies uh, as well. And I have slip on. The kid looks like he has nice kicks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If this is in New York, you know, kids dress nicer than adults here, depending on what neighborhood you're in. The neighborhood I live in, kids wear, um, like, they have, like, nice, like, more expensive coats than I do. Fuck. Yeah. Like, Montclair puffers and shit. I'm like, it's like a $500 coat, and you're going to outgrow it next year. We had, like, a lot of, me and, me and Emma have had a lot of talks about whether, like, we want or can afford kids. So, like, having that hits a, <laughs> just hits you a don't, point. 
Oh yeah, I was gonna say, you know, you don't kids no kids, you never have to get them five hundred dollar coats. No, that's true. There's there there are value in thrift shops that we could definitely make use of. Yeah. Some a child you know, would be knockoffs. bullied but build character. Yeah. Part no, part of being a kid I think is wearing stuff that people like either lightly or heavily um make fun of you for do you know mr beast do you know who mr beast is the youtuber is that the guy who like gives charity but like in a weird way yeah he like he cured a bunch of blind people he like bought a bunch of shoes for uh like people in africa but yeah he's 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 just like a content monster like everything is in service of like the most popular video the most like extreme video and therefore the video that gets him the most like views and money but we were we were watching on YouTube last night kind of an expose of um, the phenomenon of ghost kitchens, which I don't know if you've heard of this, but it's basically like instead of real restaurants, it, you can order something on like Seamless or DoorDash or whatever. And it comes from like maybe like a trailer in the middle of a abandoned street or like one place is doing 40 different restaurants, including Mr. Beast, uh, who has a burger concept. And I turned to Chris and I was like, kids and the kids are into stuff like this, are we going to indulge this? He's like, I think it's probably okay. And I was like, yeah, I did a lot. I was into a lot of stupid fad shit when I was a child. So I, I do think it is kind of a rite of passage. Are you guys thinking of kids? Yeah, yeah. That's dope. Yeah. It's funny when you mentioned the like, you know, whether or not, you know, affording kids. There's, um, I'm a big, big Rob Sheffield fan, the music writer and his, I think his first book, it's called Love is a Mixtape, which is about um, mixtape, the art of mixtapes as told through like the love story of him and his first wife. And he was talking about like his and his wife's uh, like differing cultural attitude toward marriage and children and how hers was kind of like a Southern, like have the babies first and then like everything will work out versus he's got the like Irish Catholic, like we need to have everything set up and like ready to go and all the potatoes in the cellar and then we can do it. And you know, the disagreements that resulted from that. So I, I always think about that ever since I read that book is like, you know, have the kids and then like, let's just see what, just take, take the, buy the ticket and take the ride, you know, go, go into the, go into the theme park, get on the roller coaster. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, like before we jump in, is, did you have anything else kind of pop up about the record? Or are you good to move on? I'm good. I'm good to move on. I appreciate the like behind behind the scenes like takes on everything because I feel like that. I mean, I'm you. Know, I that's that is my like way of <laughs> interpreting and like getting into music is hearing about the process and about the backstories and all that stuff. I'm like a VH1 storyteller. Do you get VH1 storytellers in Canada? Is that a, yeah, is that a, we a had it on reference? a channel called Much More Music. Okay, got it. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's the way I I get into it. So I appreciate the the full the full download. But yeah, we can we can go go firm now. Yeah, I told I told our previous guests, um, Carly and Aaron from Hit Factory, that you wanted to do that this movie, and uh-huh. they got really excited because it was their first episode. Oh no, kidding! Wow. They, yeah, they do like movies from the '90s, right? And they uh, actually, it, it it's a great way to introduce the like the phenomena of like hit movies from the '90s and how it like captured like that sort of excessive um, Republican <laughs> uh, mantra of movies at the time before everything got yep. smoothed out in Jello. <laughs> but yes. she had a nice way of describing the movie as like psychotically white. 
Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, that's how, that sounds good to me. Yeah, like... <laughs> not, not good, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. The cast is predominantly <laughs> white. There's two black speaking roles. Right, for a movie that's set in Memphis. Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we, I end up watching it twice to prepare and then listening to the album separately. So I have some notes, but uh, why'd you want to talk about The Firm? Like, do you want to give it an intro? So the music for this stood out right away when we put it on. And this was a few months ago now that a handful of months ago that uh, we put it on. And the mood of the night was like, I want to watch like a 90s legal thriller because they basically shit them out in the 90s. I don't know what was in the air. Maybe just like post post Reagan. um, Just something about the idea of like being a lawyer is like a really, really honorable and kind of like elegant job. And especially obviously like you have got you've got Tom Cruise in his prime um, being in the firm and being in my other probably in my top five favorite movies, uh, um, A Few Good Men that like i don't know this this kind of like yuppie like post 80s yuppie vision of like being a lawyer uh really tickles me and then you like bring in maybe a little bit of the erotic thriller element um you know like tom cruise's wife features very prominently in the plot in this uh as you know first like a like a good good woman and then as like a seductive you know femme fatale yeah because uh, within one woman th- there's two women and those are <laughs> that's it um, but the the music, like, as soon as it started going, I was like, oh, my God, this is so fun. I don't know what is in my head that, like, solo piano just really knocks me, knocks my socks off. Mm-hmm. I think the other, um, so, yeah, the, the music is, it's mostly solo piano, j- jazz-ish, jazz-oriented by Dave Grusin, Grusin, Grusin. I don't know anything about him, but he's been doing m- movie scores for, like, He'd done that for like 40 years or some shit. So it's not like he was a spring chicken, but there was something, I don't know. There was just something about this that I feel like also connects to my love of like nineties mall culture and how, uh, you know, public spaces used to be like, sorry, this is like a totally like random tangent, but like my thinnest, my synesthetic like interpretation of this solo jazz piano in the firm is that it reminds me of like when you would go to a mall in the 90s and there would be like a beautiful fountain and glass bricks and like some like light, you know, piano music playing perhaps in like a, you know, smooth jazz style. And I just feel like we we used to be a proper country. Like we used to like want to elevate um, public uh, life rather than... Uh, rather than make it so that everyone needed to like just like make their purchases and then leave and extract as much like value out of you and then get out of there so um, to connect it back to the firm it was like this vision of like yuppie i I was about to say middle class obviously the firm is for like the one percent of the one percent because he's doing legal work for these like super super rich mobster criminals I don't know. There, it, it transported me into a different headspace that was like, what if, what if the purpose of like being in America was to like have fun and like have a pleasant time <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to what it is now, which is like, it's just set, like the thing I say most to Chris, my husband, for anybody who's not uh, aware on the podcast is like, we're, <laughs> I'll just like turn to him at like the sight of something annoying. Just be like, we're in hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
<laughs> and I know that the firm has like, you know, the seedy underbelly of, you know, the this gorgeous lifestyle that Tom Cruise is offered as a an elite member of the firm and they give him a Mercedes when he signs on and they pay off all his student loans and it's like this true like fantasy like Cinderella story of like he's taken out of what seems like a not that lifestyle and brings him in, but at what cost? And I'm like, "Oh, if only we could have that without the crime part." <laughs> Anyway, that's my long spiel on why this piano music seemed to like speak to me. This 90s like elegant decadence. I think my favorite. So I was watching this um, with my partner like a week or so ago Mm -hmm. and she just kept like like I think she was she was tired. She kept occasionally just going. This is such a fucking weird movie. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah, it's got. So I thought it was fewer, but it actually has eight themes that are two at least two of them borrow from each other Mm -hmm. and uh unlike i had the expectation that there'd be like 20 pieces because i think that's how like modern shit is done like you write a lot of music not a lot of it gets into the movie but some of it may Mm -hmm. serve as mood set pieces or transitions um there was this there were a couple pieces that had this big man about town honky tonk thing. yeah 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 so this is what I think is the funniest transition, like music transition in a movie. Yes. You must be overwhelmed with grief. People grieve in different ways, Miss McDear. <laughs> it, it just... It's so you good. You go from like sad guy trying to fuck Tom Cruise's wife to immediately like. Yeah, it's, g- it's giving like '90s sitcom a little bit. Like, okay, back to back to our previous programming. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely deranged. I feel I feel like the energy, you know, like like all these '90s legal dramas, is that you know everything's pumped up to. It's it was. I wonder if there was like an arms race in the writing of these movies in the 90s obviously it's like based on like this is a john grisham that like trying to find not like the best legal story but the most legal story (laughs) because you know part of the challenge of getting these movies to work is convincing non-legal people to like get into law mindset And like you know this obviously this movie not to guess to scoot to the ending is that like tom cruise basically like does this sort of like weird trick where he gets to like protect the mob there's like a mail fraud thing that he basically like he tells them that they're doing mail fraud and he will like help them get out of it and it's just such an unbelievably it's a, it's the strangest conclusion one of the stranger conclusions I've ever seen to a movie that like I'm, I'm kind of like what are we doing here because the real winner is Tom Cruise you know people die and like the you know the mob is still operating it sounds like they're they're quite nasty the only person who really comes out ahead at the end of this movie is Tom Cruise because he uh like he he did it he did the sneaky law thing he pulled off the ultimate law scam and now he gets to go and like be a a good lawyer I'm like this is yeah. nuts and the the music like highlights that somehow that it's just kind of like doo doo do okay Tom Cruise <laughs> is going to <laughs> going back to be a different kind of lawyer in DC yeah. I think no Bo- Boston yeah Whatever. they moved back to Boston in like 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 what you were saying like old uh, sitcom ending like they actually speak romantically to each other over the ending credits 
Right. It like it like tries to make it like relatable somehow. And I'm like, this is like not we don't have to be this doesn't have to be relatable. Like this is crazy. He just took on the mob. Yeah. And what like won? And he's like somehow both upset the mob and upset the United States government. Yeah. And now he's just like he like slithered on out of there. I, I feel like that that is the point of this movie is that you're supposed to be like, damn, the firm really did he should they should have hired him. <laughs> that was a good hire until it wasn't. <laughs> if only they'd used him to if only he was evil, and I guess he's not evil. He's not evil enough. He's not evil yeah. enough. I think the movie there's a couple notes that I had and one was like weird sentimentality favored above all mm-hmm. else. Like that that piano music that I think you were talking about when you said like really brings you into the mall. Yeah. Like any any scene between Mitch and Abby has that sort of <laughs> they're in love and everything is beautiful mm-hmm. and everything is yep. nice. Let's have some sweaters and cocoa. <laughs> like I didn't I went in this movie expecting it to essentially be eyes wide shut. Sure. Because I, yeah. I just knew something was gonna be weird about the firm and I just thought they were gonna be like sex dungeon freaks. Yeah, and, yeah. And they're not. And that was really, really sad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it's the mob? That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It, it's. I feel like it is definitely a letdown, especially since the the buildup to what the reveal, like the reveal is, is definitely disappointing mm-hmm. in comparison to the buildup to it of being like, you know what what are these people doing like my i i feel like i was less less eyes wide shut i was more like devil worshiping cult like yeah. you know are they are they like doing dark are they doing black magic to like get their law to, to yeah, work like he's john grisham takes boring shit and makes it crazy i think is like what i've learned about his stuff like uh was it a time to kill was him as well right uh what i i can't say for sure but that's that that sounds right to me i think that's the one where it might not be in the first scene, but like very close to the beginning, uh, Samuel L. Jackson busts into a, a, a hearing for the men who murdered his child and just blasts them away, like in, in front of everyone. <laughs> oh my god! See that? Yeah, that's yeah. There's a certain I don't know, just like the the decadence of it. I think is so funny that it's yeah. Especially, I mean, I get I guess the other thing that maybe the music in this is trying to highlight is like. Tom Cruise. He went. He went to Harvard, right? That's his uh, Harvard Law. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was. I was gonna say Yale, but I don't. I think you're right. So, like, obviously, that's like you know, buttoned up, waspy, East Coast, Northeast, whatever. And then it's like, ooh, we're going to Memphis. Like, it's it kind of also get, gave off the like Southern tourist thing, where it's like, ooh, we can drink on the street here. Like, <laughs> yeehaw! Like, I'm gonna let's let's go to the dueling pianos bar and like the fantasy of like a a more lawless South or something. But then it's not lawless; it's the yeah, firm. Like, there's a there's a track called Ray's Blues. And it's like it's it fits in the context of the movie and the tone that the soundtrack is set for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it fits in with Mitch and Abby as much as it does uh, Memphis Stomp, mm-hmm. but it doesn't fit with Gene Hackman's performance of Ray as a deeply sad man. <laughs> like you just sort of get him just you can imagine listening to that song and then Gene Hackman doing a kind of like kitschy. Like like live musical theater, walk over to a bar stool and then do like a very exaggerated like throw his elbows over the edge and just lean over mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah. Like it's got it's got swagger, but it sounds like Old Ray is gonna be just fine, and that's that's not what happens to Old Ray in the movie. Yeah, that's another fake out. You're right that like I I kind of thought he was supposed to be like the final boss and like mm-hmm. he was not, which you know, 
I kind of wish it was. I th- I thought we, you know, I was like, I I I'm I like what he's doing here. Like, let him be the guy that you need to be. Yeah, because he's yeah he's obviously so we- he gave up this incredibly weird energy, <laughs> but no. That would have been a good movie that would have end also ended on the line, Did I lose you? <laughs> like what like when Tom Cruise says that, I was like, Oh damn, that's where the movie should have ended. Like that would have been yeah. like done like it, to the movie's credit, and like I, I, I actually really enjoyed it. It's why you know it's a movie we're shitting on, but it's fun. He looks yeah. like shit throughout the movie. Like they they try really hard to make him look progressively more tired and stressed out mm-hmm. A- mm-hmm. until the very end, like after after that scene where he starts to look like Tom Cruise again, like he's best in the mob, but he's looking at his wife and he's like, did I lose you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have just, that, that would have been like a modern movie ending. We'd be like, Whoa, did he like, like, like a uh, history yes. of violence has that ending. Yeah. That that's funny to think of it that way that giving the firm the, you know, post nine 11 movie treatment of like, <laughs> ambiguity and uh you know uneasiness and not them driving off into the the sun the boston sunset being like all right time to do law again time to, time to <laughs> teach school like your brother's gonna hook up with holly hunter they're gonna be really, really happy despite having just met <laughs> having just watched somebody she really cared about get blown away in front of her oh my god oh yeah i, for- I forgot about the whole the holly hunter of it all yeah. did she she got nominated she got nominated for an oscar for best supporting actress for yeah, that she was she was she was great like i loved her in it she's in it i don't know very briefly like she's yeah obviously more than gary Busey, who i think was perfectly cast Yes. Like yeah. to the point at which we don't even know if he knew he was in a movie. He just started saying, like, <laughs> confessing to Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, that's a good. I feel like that. That's almost maybe like a good, um, a like podcast concept of just like, did Gary Busey know he was in this movie? What did, What is Gary Busey bringing to the table? Was that what Life with Busey was like? There was a show. Oh, like, I did. What did he do a reality show? It was a, a comedian and Gary Busey, and it was like something with Busey. Okay. Yeah. I'm, oh man. Well, I won't go too into it because I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah, this movie has so many movies in it. <laughs> it's such a deep thought, isn't it? It's, it contains multitudes. Yeah, it's piano bistro music, big lawyer in town, Hallmark, lovely chord progression with a do 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 do. Some twinkling bullshit, and then like a nice chord change, and then back to some twinkling stuff. Then the Memphis Stomp, which is even more big lawyer in town. It's like the world is my oyster. I'm gonna do so mm-hmm. much cocaine and tax evasion. Yeah, these are. <laughs> I'm just reading my notes right now because I did like a couple of notes per. I, I downloaded the. I made like a playlist just for them because you can't. I don't know if the song, the album is on Canadian Spotify. Yeah, oh, I've yeah. looked like an asshole on on Twitter with Flux Blog because I, I asked him why something wasn't included. It wasn't on Canadian oh, no. Spotify. I didn't even realize they made that kind of distinction for uh, you. You'd think North America would all get the same shit, but I guess that's not. Yeah, it's it, funnily enough, it was a Canadian alternative rock playlist. Oh damn! So there's no excuse. Yeah, I just I was like I could go into it, but then I just l- l- look pathetic, so I didn't I didn't play anymore. But every time his like owning me tweet got a like, I got like a stab in the heart. Oh no! I like oh. I like his stuff. I was <laughs> oh, the death of blues is like, uh, or sorry, blues. The death of love and trust is like post he's cheated on her. Mm-hmm. Oh no, sorry, no, it's not. It's uh, 
I think it's that. It might also be used in the scene where he figures out uh, how to get the mob, like the thing they're doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. It's like, it's got film noir vibes. I have no issues with tax evasion or even mobsters, really, but overbilling, that's just fucking disgusting. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say the if we. I'll, I'll connect it with the music in that I do feel like the music is designed to please. I, I think, I think this it fits into like the '90s aesthetic in general. That like '90s movies, they tried to be into the 2000s a little bit. Kind of tried harder, I think, to be everything to everyone. So like you know, if you were a man, then you got the like cerebral legal drama and then like a good share of action. And if you're a woman, you got kind of like the female perspective of what if your husband cheated on you on a beach for good reason in the end, apparently uh, for his legal case. So like, I think the music is like that too, that it like, I feel like it's kind of like threads the needle that it's like not too masculine, not too feminine. And that, that just speaks to like the nineties thing that they, mm -hmm. you know, it's like this, the CK one, the unisex fragrance, uh, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta hit all the quadrants. Whereas it's now like, you know, not, not to get like too gender about everything, but like they're releasing the 19th John Wick movie. That's going to be like 14 hours long. Oh, I yeah. feel like that's like, that is a boy coded movie. That's like, <laughs> even though it's about a guy who lost his dog, which is like female tendencies, it's a, it's like for boy. And I feel like that I'm like, get into the nineties thing, have a sex scene, have a, um, you know, a romantic moment, a few romantic moments, a moment where you're decorating your house. <laughs> like let's get, let's get fun for the whole family is what I'm saying. It's funny that you mentioned that, like, especially the, what each scene is coded for. Cause when he cheats on his wife, his shirt is draped over his shoulder, like a Harlequin novel. And it's like his rippling <laughs> bicep as if he's trying to prove to people he's not gay after Top Gun. Uh, mm, mm -hmm. like I, yep. I think that plays into it a lot because even that even that movie he had really no sexual energy only toward the planes <laughs> it was a jet sexual movie <laughs> and the new one is too like i know they they have romantic in, interest in that but i just don't i'm not buying it for a second the romance is with the pilot and his plane is he more believable in that one because like i found in top gun he was so like innocent and quiet that like it didn't work like he hadn't figured out how to be an actor beyond being like really cute on camera yeah i i i would agree i think he brought he brought more to the table in um in maverick i would say uh yeah and also i found the to the whole tone of of top gun to be like so unbelievably 80s in a way that's like hard for me to watch it seriously like i don't know that it takes me out of it a little bit versus Maverick felt at least very contemporary, mm -hmm. including, you know, not naming uh, the like enemy of America, just being like, we just have an enemy. Like, don't worry about it. It's us v them. Do you get that that issue with like Schwarzenegger movies as well? Or do you find like Schwarzenegger 80s movies kind of just fit into the 80s so well? I think that I think that fits into the 80s. And I feel yeah. like he he fit into the 80s. Like, I almost, yeah, something synthesizes where I've, I've found myself less like aware of uh, the artifice of the whole thing, because I mean, look look at the guy <laughs> he's like not he's like barely a real guy and the 80s were like barely a real decade you know no, i got you i got you <laughs> okay let me think let me just go through these notes see if there's anything else sure okay yeah there's more notes on the thing uh the plan the plan which is more of the memphis stomp but like a bit mm -hmm. more exciting like i'm gonna fuck the fbi <laughs> the mud chase mud island chase where he's running away from jigsaw and hank from breaking bad yeah yeah 
So good. Great, you know, the music obviously has the Chase vibe in it. And plus, they're exploring, you know, a unique part of Memphis, uh, giving like a little bit of tourism to the whole thing. Like watching the guy like try to like keeping up a, a consistent pace with that uh, Sky Tram. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's like urban, you know, like urban fantasy. Just the music in that section, like, you know, is going to come to a duh statement to anyone who listened to the 36 minute record that's going to be paired with this episode. Ten shit is my vibe. And like, yeah, like the brushing his hand along. I don't know what the actual term is, but when you like slam your hand across the piano strings. Oh, yeah. Like in, in the grand piano, when you just do it like that, that. Damn, man. Like, that's some good shit right there. <laughs> Just, like, low-end jaws and then slapping your hand across the the, the insides of the piano. Like the mm-hmm. Dynamite. Dynamite yeah. scoring on that That's section. That's funny that tension is your, you know, that that's what you're vibing with, uh, considering the music <laughs> yeah. that you composed. That makes total sense. Yeah, you know, I like... Because to- now, you know... Oh, wait, sorry, go, no, go you, on. You finish your thought. Well, I was just going to say, the the only other thing I can think of that I wanted to bring up is just, I mean, I know, obviously, like, you're you're Tom York fan, Radiohead fan. uh, It's not Tom York doing this, but, like, the Johnny Greenwood um, Mm -hmm. movie score, I think, has gone too far. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who have now, like, started ripping off Johnny Greenwood. Yeah. And, like, if I hear one more tense discordant violin thing i'm gonna lose it i feel like you have to do you have to be good at it so i'm like tense piano give me more yeah like i feel like that's the har- that's the harder sell is now everyone realizes that it feels weird to like you know play a bunch of violin on top of each other and have it like you know give you a weird feeling i'm like that's fine i think mi- mi- was it midsomar one of those like kind of horror movies of the past couple of years did it and i was like i think we can do better yeah so do pulling off tension with piano i i, I respect it, it, it did recall jaws in a very like in a way that didn't feel like it was ripping it off but just like mm-hmm. oh yeah this this is good this is like he's being <laughs> hunted i get this i'm clocking it yeah <laughs> but like yeah no, especially with midsummer i do get what you're saying like it's a movie that when i saw it i was like oh that's cool and then um Everything just kind of bleeds into the A24. A24? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. The A24 horror kind of like, if, I feel like we got to like push push the boundaries a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like like how there's a certain synth that, uh, or a certain synth and, and, and tom sound that Hans Zimmer uses that like everyone, not everyone, but like a lot of action movies use when they want to show the villain doing something catastrophic. But yeah. Oh yeah, like that part. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it even occurred when Radiohead did that uh, cover of Bloom with him, where it's not necessarily the synth, but it's the, I think it was Brass that was doing it, or it might have, it, okay. if it wasn't just violins. But yeah. Did you bring up Johnny Greenwood because you had watched, um, did you watch There Will Be Blood recently? I did. I just did. Yeah. Which was amazing. Yeah. Like, loved it. But yeah, no, I, th- I think people are aware of the, the, the the effect you know the johnny greenwood effect and are like oh let me do that and i'm like eh. also not every movie is there will be blood <laughs> <laughs> the passion of the christ <laughs> oh man I drink your jesus I drink <laughs> <him> <laughs> <up>. <laughs> oh god I think I'm tapped out on the firm. Do you have anything yeah. else you're, you're ready to share on that? I think I'm tapped out on the firm too, but just la- last plug for a 90s legal drama is just such a good, uh, legal thriller is a good palate cleanser for the problems of today yeah. uh, because it, everything is so ridiculous that it you know makes life feel more normal. 
and especially Tom Cruise playing a lawyer. I feel like now he's mostly doing, um, you know, big a- action guy, soldier, Mission Impossible, fighter plane. But I look, I, I love him as a lawyer the most. I, he will die uh, filming a movie. You know, I think it won't be that exciting. <laughs> I think we'll expect it and it'll be something like like he swallows a penny or something. <laughs> I will I I will wait uh anxiously but not, you know, um not too excitedly for just to see how he will go. But also G- Gene Hackman just had a uh, like paparazzi photos go viral yeah. where they're like Gene Hackman looks great at the age of 93. <laughs> and everyone was like, I don't know if he looks great. I mean, it's great that he's like up and around. He's still kicking, yeah. Yeah. He looks vertical. like a 93-year-old. Yeah, he looks like yeah. Molly you're doing more infinite cast now, right? Or are you? Are you? Do you have any an intro in the in the docket? Uh, and and intro is it's coming. I can spoil it. I don't really care about spoiling. Um, that I read Bono's um book that he published, I think last year. Um, where he, you know, I actually forget the title. It really doesn't matter. It's Bono. <laughs> uh, it's gonna have to be a two part episode oh, well. because it's long as hell, and half of it is about him being like a political operative. <laughs> Uh, so like there's a lot to there, there's a lot of like sub, uh, sub, uh, uh, supplemental research I will need to do in order to be like well, what is he talking about here um, but that that will be running down the pipeline but Infinite Cast is happening that's where I'm reading uh, Infinite Jest to Chris my husband we are almost done I think probably in a month from when we were recording we will be just about wrapped which is crazy do you take requests for an intro always sing backwards and weep the Mark Lanigan one sing I think I feel like I've heard um, this, but I'm I'm writing it down. So the history, or at least I don't know if it was in the book, but press around it really got locked into corny love. And Uh I don't know if he said this directly in the book or was in like interviews. Probably some of the nicest stuff anyone has ever anyway, the nicest anyone has ever described corny love is coming out of these interviews where he talks openly about like her providing him clothing while he's in rehab because. He was so close to Kurt. Um, yeah, that on its own was interesting to me. But like, if if you do have time and interest to check out the bourbon soaked vocals of Mark Lanigan and <laughs> and his story, please just do it as an episode. <laughs> I'll share it. I will. I will check it out. That sounds great. Um, all right. So where where can folks find you? They can find me on Twitter. I'm at Miss Molly Mary. Uh, the podcasts are and introducing and infinite cast found wherever podcasts are. Uh, I just started a, a music newsletter um, this earlier this year, which is called the Molly Zone. It's the Molly Zone dot b e e h i i v dot com. Uh, fuck Substack. <laughs> just kidding. Substack's fine, um, but uh, I'm on I'm on Beehive <laughs> instead, <laughs> and uh, I've been interviewing people for that and writing a little like music personal essays and all that good stuff those are the main places that you can find me on the internet these days and i make uh, videos for the alternative which is my favorite music website ever probably besides i was about to say rolling stone but more of a magazine to me than a website no shade yeah. well thank you so much molly um it's a pleasure to have you back on thanks for having me thank you for for delving into the full record in a single non-stop revolution hell yeah experiencing all it has to be Uh, uh, thank you so much thanks since recording Molly launched the blog IEnjoyMusic.net which we'll link to in the show notes and a big thanks to Molly for not only coming on the show a second time and listening to our full record 
but for being really supportive and guiding voice behind the scenes. I want to thank our guests for this batch of episodes, Aaron and Carly from Hit Factory Podcast, Young Chomsky from True and Odd, Maddie and Jackie from The Indie Heads, the music enjoyer herself, Molly O'Brien, as well as our musician friends who donated music to these episodes, The Great Varelli, Pierre Zouvlai, and Animal Party. Rolling Corpse Pathetic, our new album, which you heard at the top of this episode, will be available on streaming shortly. Thank you for listening.